you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. So this morning, we're, we're dealing with that last phrase of the Nicene Creed, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, is kind of the bridge between one church and resurrection that we talked about last week. But we're really looking at, I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And so this, this kind of answers a question, to what end do we Christians believe? Where do we believe this is all going? Why do we believe in the gospel? Why do we believe in this statement? Where does this all lead? I think really um, there is a prevailing cultural myth or a lie about Christianity. And you've probably heard this represented in a movie or by a friend or a family member who doesn't quite get what you believe. But the lie is this. Christians believe that if you do good things, you will go to heaven. That is the lie. We focus a lot on debunking this lie because it gets salvation so wrong. It's this huge misunderstanding about how sinful humans are saved, right? We, we focus a lot on that, but there's also a second misunderstanding in the statement. It doesn't just get the how of salvation wrong. It also gets the why kind of wrong so that we will get to heaven, So that first lie, Christians believe that you have to be good. Well, the truth is, we believe that all humans are bad. All have fallen short of righteousness and the glory of God and the ability to be truly good and truly perfect. And instead, we believe that if you come to Jesus and submit your life to him, then that means you're covered by his perfect work, his righteous work, and you are forgiven and saved. And the second problem is that they kind of think that we believe that this gets us to heaven, right? That's not, it's not entirely true. It's also not entirely wrong. We'll unpack that. But, but typically what they mean by that you are doing good works so that you can get to heaven, there's, there's a cultural depiction of harps and wings and clouds and that were these spiritual angel type things. And it's typically paired with that sounds boring, right? The culture kind of thinks, yeah, I don't want to be on a cloud playing a harp with wings for the rest of my life or the rest of eternity, rather. But this isn't what the Bible teaches. We've seen this kind of start to get unpacked in Revelation. Um, It's not what Jesus teaches about what happens at the end of all things, and it's not what the creed teaches, right? I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So the two things we'll look at this morning are those two things, the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world of the world to come. So first, it's important to remember all of this in the creed has been building to this end, right? It's flowing out like this, this theology about the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. It's all flowing out of what the creed has established thus far, which is the triune God, who God primarily is. We've gone through these belief statements about who God the Father is, the creator and sustainer of all things, including humanity we know from Genesis, that God fashioned humans out of dust and breathed life into us. So he created our bodies. We believe in Christ the Son, who as God inhabited a real human body and lived and died in that human body and rose again in that human body, not as a spirit or a ghost, but a man with flesh. 
And in that flesh, we learn from the creed that he sits even now on the throne of heaven as the first to resurrect from the dead. We believe in the spirit who the creed tells us gives what? Gives life to those who are dead in sin. And then last week, we talked about how this belief in this triune God, in all three persons of God, flows and informs who we are as the church. We are one church unified, holy, in, set apart in righteousness, being made holy by the work of the Holy Spirit, Catholic in that we're global in scope and mission, and apostolic means we're, we're built on the foundation of the apostles' teaching in the New Testament. And so when we talk about resurrection of the dead, we're, we're getting to an already not yet reality. By the time we reach here, we've gone through who we are in relation to God, and then we get this, this dual layer of meaning, one that the creed has already talked about and one that the creed is talking about coming in the future. So here's what I mean. For those who place their faith in Christ, he has died for your sin and risen in victory over death. The creed tells us that we, tells us, and we unpacked this a few weeks ago, the creed tells us that the Holy Spirit is sent to live inside of us and give life. Give life to those who are dead, or in other words, to give us a resurrection. Right? Like last week, I said we would link baptism to this reality, and that's what we find Paul doing in Romans 6, chapter 1, or chapter 6, verse 1, rather. He says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is how baptism links entrance into the church with resurrection. In the Nicene Creed, it does just that. It's this linking statement between these two ideas. Baptism is this sign of entrance into God's people, the church. And it also signifies the resurrection. We're linked with Christ's death and resurrection. We go down and we come up. New life. Paul continues in verse 5 saying, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, he will certainly, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might not be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Paul continues, Now if we died with Christ, we also believe that we will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but, but the life he lives, he lives in God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. Count yourself resurrected. So the first resurrection I'm talking about, the first layer of resurrection, is a current re reality for those of you in the room who have placed your faith in Jesus and been baptized. Right? And I bet you feel it. We are always kind of being awoken to our sin and working to put our sin to death as those who have been resurrected from an old life into a new life. But there's a tension here. There's a tension here. It's a, it's a tension between old self and new self, flesh and spirit. 
and it's just a reality. We're marked by it. Like last week, um, if you were here in the second gathering, I was, uh, during the confession, so that's where we confess, as you just rehearsed, we confess our sins before the Lord. Um, I, I was sitting here, and I, I usually sit, but this Sunday I kneeled, um, and I was beside Maggie, my daughter, and I was confessing, and she was right there, so when I, when I started thinking of what should I confess and what do I need to confess, I started confessing my parenting, my, uh, you know, this lack of patience as a parent, my, uh, I have an idol of rest that I blame my kids for disrupting in parenting, so I get mad when they disrupt my comfort, I get mad at them. But I'm, I'm confessing these things and, and praying silently, and I'm really feeling this tension of, man, I'm not who I believe that the Lord has raised me to be. I'm not the new man that I want to be so desperately. I still feel the old flesh in every moment where I snap at my kids. And, and in this moment, um, I'm, I'm sitting here kneeling, and I just feel Maggie spread out on my back. She's never done that. She really doesn't even like to pray. Like when we ask her if you want to pray, she's like, no. And she just spreads out on my back. And I just felt the, the tension as palpable as I've ever felt it between I'm not there, but that's where I'm, I'm going. That's where I want to be. And I felt the Lord's grace particularly in that moment. And that, that's what I think, like in those moments where our old flesh and our new flesh are colliding in such a, a storm moment for us that the Lord wants us to remember that he is gracious and that he is finishing a work in you and it's not complete. So this, this new reality is setting in place for us with these old bodies. These old bodies are still marked by the sin of our father, Adam, but Jesus has begun a transformation. He has sent his spirit to make all things new, and it's starting with you. The all things new is starting with us. But there's a time coming, the creed tells us, and we learned from this passage in Revelation that this will all be complete. This will all be complete. And until then, we feel, and not only do we feel it, we see the effect of sin on these bodies. We feel the tension on an emotional level, on a cognitive level. We see the tension as our bodies age, right? These bodies will grow old. These bodies will deteriorate. These bodies will die. But what happens after that? Well, believers in the room, we do believe that we go to heaven, right? We believe in heaven. We don't go there in these bodies. So heaven is this dwelling place for God. Heaven currently exists, and it's where God's people are in God's presence, in the presence of Christ. There's no sin. There's no suffering. There's immense joy for those who have died and gone to heaven. And yet... The reality is their physical, their real physical bodies are still on earth. They've left their physical bodies on earth, and they're awaiting something that will finally happen, a final resurrection where body and soul, body and spirit are rejoined. Here's what Paul says in uh, his letter to the Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, 
Our citizenship is in God's dwelling place, is what he's saying. And from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious physical body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What's being said there is, Paul's saying, we're not made for this world as it currently is. We're not made for this world in its current state. We are made to be in the dwelling place of God. And he says that even when in heaven, we're still awaiting Jesus to do something. What? To transform lowly, earthly, physical bodies into glorious bodies. This is a, an important distinction because I think we, we, we primarily think of ourselves, especially in the West, as, as defined by everything that happens in here. So our thoughts and our emotions define who we are, our identity, uh, how we behave, how we act. Everything that we get our identity from is happening just right here in our head. And so we, we tend to think of I am who I think, therefore I am, right? Like this idea of like everything that happens, everything that I am is my spirit, my soul, my thought. But God breathed life into dust, we are embodied souls. We aren't just, these bodies aren't just vessels until we get to leave them and go to heaven. These are our bodies. This is the design. We aren't supposed to transcend physical body. We're waiting for a reformation, a resurrection, a transformation. There's great dignity and value in the human body. There's great worth in our bodies. And though they will grow old and though they will die, these bodies will be reunited to our souls at the end of all things in the life of the world to come. So our eternal reality is going to be embodied souls. That's the life of the world to come. Let's read Revelation 21 once again, and let's unpack this together. Um, this is John getting a vision, and he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Pause. So the earth and the heavens have gone through a death here. As we know them now, they have gone through a death. It says they've passed away. And a new heaven and a new earth emerges as this full, and I would argue unified, dwelling place of God and humanity. I'm in this camp where we really are seeing at this moment, in this verse specifically, we're seeing the merge of heaven and earth, a new heaven and a new earth. We're told there's no more sea. Does that mean that there's no bodies of water on the new earth? I don't think that's what it's saying. I think this is getting at um, the symbolic sea. All throughout the Bible, sea is used to symbolize chaos, strife, rebellion, danger. Think of Jesus calming the storm as he walks on water, right? Like Jesus, there's, there's a, a, a rebellion, chaotic, sinful, evil, something represented by the sea there. But here, he's seeing there's no more threat to creation. There's no threat of separation between God and man. There's no, there's no threat. Here's, here's the work that gets, gets me there. Revelation continues. He says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What is this holy, this holy city? The clue is there. Um, it, it's right there in that. It tells us it's a bride dressed for her husband, beautifully dressed. Verse 10 um, doubles down on this and makes it very plain. We didn't read it this morning, but verse 10 just says later in the chapter, an angel says, I will show you the bride of the lamb, the city Jerusalem. So the, Jerusalem here is the bride of the lamb. It's the church. Who is the bride of Christ? The church. It's all of us, one holy, Catholic, apostolic church, global, being personified as a city who's ready, or a bride, a city and a bride, ready. So we've got a resurrected heaven and earth. We've got a resurrected church who is descending now in purity. And we've got an eternal dwelling place for the resurrected God. All right here, happening in this scene, this is the life of the world to come. God is going to live there with his people. Heaven, defined as God's dwelling place, is now descended right here on earth, and it is his people, the church. What will he do among them, we're told? He will wipe away every real liquid tear from every real physical face, which implies bodies. Death will be no more. The old order of things is gone. It is dead, and the new order of things has arrived. Revelations continu- Revelation continues here in, in 21. It says, He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and end to the thirsty. I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Christ will quench thirst with an unceasing river of water that's flowing from his throne to the people with whom he dwells for eternity. This is the life of the world to come. And really, this is why the creed ends with this, because this ties up all of the Nicene Creed for us. Remember the lie that I talked about at the beginning? Uh, Christians believe if you do good things, you will go to heaven. Well, the counter-truth is the creed. The creed is the truth. It's the counter-truth for the cultural lie about what Christians believe and where we believe this will end. The the creed is the counter-truth for every cultural uh, lie about spirituality that says you are your own God or you can be your own God or God is everything and God is everyone. Like the creed nips all of this in the bud. It says we believe in one God, the Father who created all of this. We believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came down to heaven, or from heaven, just like heaven will come down to earth. God came down, and for our salvation, he was made a man with a real body and was crucified, murdered, and thrown in a tomb, and he rose in a real body and ascended to a throne where he sits now in a real body. We believe that there is a time where he will come again, and all will rise and be judged as either alive in him or dead to sin. We believe in the Holy Spirit who has been sent to give life even now to those who are dead in sin, new life even here on earth as we await the fullness of that to come. 
And we believe in the church, united, holy, global, built on the foundation of the word of God, spoken through the apostles into this church we are baptized. And we believe all this leads to a final resurrection and a life of a new earth and heaven to come, God dwelling among us. A resurrected creation, a resurrected bride, and a resurrected God. The truth of what we believe is, is the creed. It's not what we do, it's what God has done. It's not to get into heaven necessarily, it's to dwell in the new heavens and the new earth where God himself will live among his beloved embodied people and death will be no more. Real tears on real cheeks will be wiped by the real hand of Christ with the scars bearing the cost. This is what we look for, the life of the world to come. Let's pray. Lord, there's a real tension here that we admit is uncomfortable, that we feel the, the decaying occurring in our earthly bodies. We feel the stain of sin as we experience sickness in our own life or in the life of those we love, and we, we see them dying. And yet... These things in Revelation are written for us to have hope. And looking at you, the firstborn of the dead, the first resurrected king, we, we can say with a real tangible belief that, that those who died or will die or when we die, we will, we will be ushered into the presence of God. We'll be with Jesus' sorrow and sin no more. And there we will await a day where body and soul are reunited, where earth and heaven are united, and there you will dwell among us for eternity. Hasten the day. We look for that life to come. And yet in the meantime, you have said you will use us so that more men and women and children in Houston and Texas and the world might have their tears wiped from their cheeks at the eternal wedding feast. So in this great tension, Lord, would we, would we take up the mantle of the work that needs to be done that you have freely saved us to do with joy and be liberal with our spreading of the good news. No. You believe wrong. It's not do good and get to heaven. Can I show you why it's so much better? Lord, you've shown us it's so much better in the creed when we, um, when we are struggling with doubt or unsure of ourselves or our station, would we look to the creed? Would it guide us to your word? Would your spirit be with us? And would that peace that surpasses understanding envelop us like a blanket, like a child's arms over a parent confessing sin? Would you meet us in those moments? We beg of you, knowing that you 
you sit even now saying, I'm eager to do that. do that through my word, through my church, through who I am. It's who I am. That's, that's who you are, Lord. We worship you because of it. We trust you and we love you.